This morning we continue in the new series on, or in the Psalms, started with Psalm 25. Well, let's go back and start at the beginning. This week, Psalm 1 is before us, and Lord willing, next Sunday, Psalm 2. Let me read the psalm for us. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, the two ways presented to us in the first psalm. This is also the very word of our living God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, so ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. May he write it upon our hearts here this morning. As we come before the word again, let me pray for us briefly. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would bless us and bless this time as we come before your word. Again, we ask that you would speak to us. Open our ears and open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit that we might hear and see the things that you have for us this morning. We ask that you would fulfill the promise that you've made, that your word goes out and does not return to you empty, but instead accomplishes everything that you purpose for it and is successful in the things for which you send it. As this is true this morning, we ask that your word would become for us a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we might walk according to what we learn. We ask it in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, those who've been around a while here know that uh, for me, the Psalms, uh, Psalms 1 and 2 form uh, the basis for all the rest of the Psalms. We've talked about this many times. Psalm 1, very simply, tells us that there are two kinds of people in the world, the righteous and the wicked. And then Psalm 2 tells us that there's spiritual warfare between the righteous and the wicked. But there is victory coming by the sun that God sets on his holy hill. So it describes the world that we live in, a world of people who are either righteous or wicked, either the seed of the woman or the seed of the serpent, who've been at war since the garden. And in our Revelation study on Wednesday night, we saw them at war there as well. The dragon, the woman. But victory is coming through the promised seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. If you took a look at the outline of the Psalms that we, uh, we have available, you'll see that the book one of the Psalms versus Psalms to uh, Psalms 1 to 1, excuse me, <laughs> Psalms 1 to 41. It's kind of an extended commentary on Psalm 1. And book 2, Psalms 42 to 72 is, 72 is kind of an extended commentary 
on Psalm 2. And then the latter three books are kind of a reaction to these first two ideas. Book 3 reacts by asking, why don't the righteous prosper instead of the wicked? What's going on here? And moreover, God, where is the king that you promised? Why are you angry with us? Why do you withhold your grace and your mercy and your love? Book 4 begins with Moses reminding us and reminding all of God's people that God is righteous. He is the king. He is the one who takes care of us. He's the one we should be looking for, not the promised earthly son of David. Of course, those promises come true in the one person of Christ. Book 5 celebrates this, gives praise to God who reigns above. It talks about living as God's servants. So the Psalms kind of fit together. The first two, again, describing life in this world and kind of the history of the world uh, in its conflict that, that goes on until the end. But they also set the stage for the rest of the Psalms that we're going to look at. So it is fitting that we begin with Psalm 1 this morning and see it as the opening of the Psalter, as we see it reflecting the, the soul music of our hearts. Psalm 1 is, is simple, six little verses and yet very profound. What I want to do this morning is just review the psalm itself and then talk about some things we can learn from it. Again, a short psalm. It's like Psalm 23, short, easy to memorize, pretty simple. It's a popular verse for kids to memorize in Sunday school. My daughter learned it in in early grade school. She can still remember it to this day. Um, Verse 4, as she memorized it, was not uh, the wicked are not so, but very pointedly, not so the wicked. She remembers that clearly. And there's clear contrasts in this psalm. A simple, clear contrast between the righteous and the wicked. The righteous man is blessed. He delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it constantly, day and night. The righteous one is compared to a fruitful, healthy tree. Its leaves do not wither. It's an image of prosperity. It's a description of success. We'll be able to stand in the judgment at the final day. The Lord knows him and knows his ways. This is contrasted with the wicked person who is not blessed, who does not delight in the law of the Lord, who's not a healthy tree, but instead is is straw, dead, dry straw, chaff, the leftovers of a good harvest that's blown away by the wind. The wicked one cannot stand in the judgment. The Lord knows his way, too, and his way is death. Pretty simple. Pretty clear. But Let me go through the psalm and point out some of the interesting features that are contained in it. Verse 1 has a a progression, or we could even call it a digression, because it's really going the wrong direction, describing what the righteous do not do. The images go from walking to standing to sitting. Interesting use of imagery there. Walking is usually a picture in the Bible of how we live our lives, the way we do things. 
So the, the blessed man, the righteous man, is the one who does not walk with the wicked in their counsel. He doesn't do what they do. He doesn't live that kind of life. But standing implies not just living that way, but standing on it, depending on it, taking root there, adopting that way of life as, as mine. It's, it's a contrast to standing on the rock, right? To standing on Jesus. I stand on this way of life. I'm committed to it. I have faith in it. But sitting goes even farther than that. I'm not walking in it. I'm not standing in it. I've, I've settled down. I'm here. This is who I am. And I'm taking it easy. And I'm not getting up, by the way. I'm, I'm here. This is who I am. Settled comfort. I'm not going anywhere. Wickedness progresses or digresses from one to the other, from dabbling with evil and sin, practicing it, walking in it, to a larger commitment to just being utterly recalcitrant. I am here, I am sitting, and I am not getting up. Blessed is the man who does not do that, says verse 1. The righteous don't even start down that path. The contrast for the righteous is his delight instead is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. What's the picture there? We've, we've talked about this before too. What we love we focus on. What we love, we pay attention to. We spend time being devoted to it, studying it. Think of the hobbies and interests that we all have. How, how much time we devote to them. And it's often how we describe ourselves. Who is he? Who is she? Well, that guy's a sports fan. That guy collects baseball cards. That one does crafts, cooking, baking. Oh, that, that guy's a reader, musician, into games, into art, into fishing, into hunting, into hiking, whatever it might be. We kind of are identified by what we do, by what we love. What does the righteous man love? What does he devote himself to? What do you delight in? What do you meditate upon constantly? The righteous one meditates on God's law day and night. God's law there is, is I think, meant to encompass all of God's word. The righteous person is a student of scripture, thinks about it, contemplates it. And then we have this beautiful picture in verse 3. A healthy tree planted by streams of water, so a close, near source of refreshment. It has fruit in its season. Its leaf never withers. Everything that he does, he prospers. What a picture of success. In all that he does, he prospers. question I want to come back to later, is that true? Is that really true? Should we pursue a a doctrine of success in this life, of prosperity? Talk about that in a minute. Now, again, the contrary image. The wicked are not so. Not so the wicked. Dried up chaff, unhealthy, doesn't prosper by implication, doesn't meditate on God's law by implication, does not prosper. Again, is that true? 
The wicked don't prosper. Verse 5 is a contrast to verse 2. The blessed man walks in righteousness, but the wicked man can't even stand in the judgment. Can't even stand in the congregation of the righteous. He has no place. Cannot be counted there. And verse 6 kind of echoes verse 1. The blessed man is known by the Lord. He walks in righteousness. That's where he stands. That's where he sits. The Lord knows the way of the righteous person. Not in a general sense of being aware of it. But he watches over the way of the righteous. Governs the ways of the righteous and of the wicked. Such that the way of the righteous is life. And the way of the wicked is death. So there's your psalm. Psalm 1. The righteous and the wicked. Two kinds of people in the world. But let's go back to that question that arises, I think, out of verse 3 and verse 4. Is it really true that the righteous prosper in all that they do? There's a second question that's, that's related to this. Is there anyone really like this righteous person? Does this righteous person really exist? And both questions can be answered in two ways, yes and no. (laughs) But the cry of our hearts where this psalm kind of grabs us is as we read it, if you're honest as you read this, no. No, the righteous don't prosper. The wicked do prosper. That's the cry of our hearts so often. What in the world is going on? That the righteous continually are afflicted in jail in an Iranian prison for four years, in the hospital with cancer, with disease, losing babies, divorced, all the afflictions that come upon us. Why does this happen? And why do the wicked prosper? How can this psalm be true? It's God's word. It has to be true. But how? Well, we can look at it very theologically. Of course, there's no one righteous. God's word tells us there's no one righteous, right? There is no one righteous. No, not one. Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, and Psalm 53, verses 1 to 3. Scripture tells us the inclination of man's heart is only evil all the time. All the way back in Genesis 6, verse 5. In fact, the man who studies God's law (laughs) only becomes more and more aware of his own sin. That's rather depressing. And the righteous don't prosper. The wicked oppress. They hate with great hatred, what we saw in Psalm 25 a couple weeks ago. They lay traps for the righteous and they speak evil of them. They mock them. They call evil good and good evil. Scripture tells us the wicked are successful. They prosper. And their prosperity is a great evil. And part of the vanity of the world. There's a whole book about that. Ecclesiastes. And many psalms as well. But see, this is what the psalms do. The psalms grab us. 
in, in the reality of life. The Psalms are rather brazen. Think again of Psalm 25 and how honest David is with God. The psalmist is with God in Psalm 25. I'm going to lift up my soul to you. Don't let me down. Or a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgressions are not remembered by God. Who is this fictional person? The Psalms make us ask these brazen kinds of questions. Who is this righteous man who prospers? Who is the wicked man who's like chaff? The Psalms force us to look deeply at what they say and what they claim. Who is this righteous person that prospers in all that he does? The world doesn't look like that. Reality around us seems to deny the psalm. And even certain things we see in Scripture seem to contradict it. By the way, that means the prosperity preachers are wrong. (laughs) Dead wrong. Dead, dead, dead wrong. So who is the righteous one? Students of Scripture have been asking that question of this psalm for centuries. The Jewish rabbis said, well, it's either God or it's his promised Messiah. Well, the early church fathers picked up on that and again would say it's either God or it's Jesus himself. Hilier of Poitiers, St. Augustine, in his commentary about this psalm, says this is a psalm about Jesus. Jesus is the righteous one who prospers. And the answer leads nicely into Psalm 2. He is the son of that is set on Zion by God, King Jesus. And yes, that's true. I think that's a good answer. The righteous one is Jesus. He does prosper in all that he does. And that's a good answer, but it's, it's only good as far as it goes, because now, how does this psalm relate to me? It distances the psalm from us. It kind of makes it more about someone else than about us. Yes, it's about Jesus. I think that's fair. I think that's true. But I don't think we can stop there. Because we do know more about the righteous from Scripture. There are righteous people named in Scripture. Noah and Daniel and Job named as righteous in Ezekiel 14. Zechariah and Elizabeth. We just studied Luke and went through Luke named as righteous in Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Later on in chapter 2, verse 25, Simeon is declared a righteous man. Hebrews eleven four 4 says, Abel was commended as righteous by God for offering a sacrifice in faith. Paul himself describes himself as being blameless before the law, a righteous man. And we're going to see psalms as we go through this series where David says, I'm I'm a righteous man. Uphold me in my righteousness. Blameless before the law. And so there is that, that righteousness that's kind of an outer conformity to the law of God, even though that person knows his or her own secret and inward sins. It's a righteousness that acknowledges that sin and and looks to God's provision for dealing with that sin. In the Old Testament, it was the sacrifices. But that's not all that righteousness is. Because there's a further description or qualification of what it means to be righteous. We heard it in our New Testament reading. The righteous live 
by faith. My righteous one shall live by faith. That's who the righteous one is. The one who lives by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and again our New Testament reading in Hebrews 10.38. The righteous one is the one of faith, believes that God forgives sin and does not count the iniquity against the sinner. The righteous one has faith, trusts in God, that God will vindicate himself and keep his promises that he's made. That's kind of the point of the story of David and Goliath. It's not about facing the giants in your life. It's about a conflict between pagans, the unrighteous, the wicked, challenging the armies of the God of Israel, who promised to keep and protect and watch over his people. David believed that promise. He had faith. He trusted. God was going to keep his promises and give Israel victory for his own glory. David was a man of faith, despite his gross, terrible sin. A righteous man, because he lived by faith. So there are righteous people. Those who put their faith and hope and trust in God, particularly in Christ Jesus. Those in the Old Testament looking forward to that hope of the Messiah, the rabbis were right. This is about the Messiah. But those since Jesus' earthly ministry looking to that finished work that he has accomplished, his perfect obedience, his atoning sacrificial death, his resurrection, done for us and for our salvation. It's in him. It's in his work that we have righteousness and perfect righteousness credited to our account by grace and through faith. Sins paid for completely. Certain hope of eternal life in a new heavens and new earth where we will truly prosper. That's where prosperity comes. That's where success is found. May or may not happen in life under the sun, as Ecclesiastes points out. But with God and his sure promises, we will prosper for all of eternity. When the coming one comes, again, Hebrews 10, our New Testament reading. When the coming one comes, God promises, his righteous ones will receive a great reward. And we have treasures laid up in Christ in the heavenly places even now. So this psalm, yes, it's about Jesus, but it's about us too. We are the righteous ones who live by faith, who do prosper sooner or later. And it's also about the wicked, those who refuse to repent, those who refuse to believe and submit their lives to Christ Jesus. Now that's a black and white contrast that's not very popular today. Maybe it's providential that um, my sermon was delayed a week because I got an illustration this week from the Pope speaking to Congress. I heard him quoted. It was either on TV or on the radio. And the quote just jumped out at me. So I went and looked at it, looked at a transcript of his speech to make sure I heard correctly. This is what he said in his speech to Congress. The self-proclaimed vicar of Christ and leader of 
all Christians on earth. The Pope speaking. There is another temptation which we must especially guard against, the simplistic reductionism which sees only good or evil, or, if you will, the righteous and sinners. The contemporary world with its open wounds which affects so many of our brothers and sisters demands that we confront every form of polarization which would divide it into these two camps. Good and evil, the righteous and sinners. Wow. I know he's read Psalm 1, but that's... It seems like such an utter contrast between the attitude of this psalm and what he said. The world wants to see things in shades of gray, uncertainty, relativism. Everybody's a little bit right, everybody's a little bit wrong, everybody's a little bit good, everybody's a little bit bad. What is truth? Your truth is as good as mine. All these things that we know and have seen you can't judge. You've got to be accepting. So the message of Psalm 1 isn't very popular today. But truth is truth. And in the end, truth wins out. It's a sobering reality. We can't treat it lightly. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are righteous, not because they're better, but simply because they've recognized who they really are and turned in repentance and faith to follow Jesus. To true life. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's life. Eternal life in Christ Jesus. True prosperity. And the other kind are those who pursue evil, whose ways also are known to the Lord and whose ways will lead them to death. But here's the good news. This is the good news. This is where we can't just divide people into camps and walk away and say, no, 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 you're over there. What we get to say is, come over here. Join our team. I used to be on that team. I came over here. Come with me. The wicked can become righteous, not by their own good works, not by anything they do, not by buying it, not by working for it, Not by winning it through feats of strength or by wit or by wisdom, but by the method that the Bible gives. Admit you're wicked. And receive God's grace through the gift of faith. And our privilege is to help people do that. To help them cross from one side to the other as we share the good news of the gospel with them. Coming alongside them and saying, I used to be counted among the wicked. Right? Paul says it more than once. Such were some of you. Here's the way to life. Don't walk that way. Walk this way. Walk with God by grace and through faith. There are two kinds of people. There are two ways the way of the self, the way of God. Which one are you? Righteous or wicked? Which way will you go? One way leads to life.
One way leads to death. Choose life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, indeed, as we come before this psalm, the first thing we must confess is that our sins identify us among the wicked. Were it not for your grace, were it not for you taking action, where we refuse to, where we would rebel against you and continue walking in the ways of the wicked, looking to be comfortably seated among them, if you had not taken action, we would be lost. Remind us of this truth. And in reminding us of this truth, remind us as well that you have chosen to save us by your powerful, mighty hand, that you've been loving toward us, that you've been gracious toward us, that you've shown mercy toward us. We walk in the way of the righteous, not in our own strength, but because you walk with us and empower us by your own Holy Spirit. May we be those who would remember these things soberly, but remember them also with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. And look with compassion upon those who are still walking in the way of the wicked, that we might draw them to repentance and faith, to a new way of life, to a better prosperity, to a better blessedness. And Jesus Christ, the righteous one, it's in his name that we pray all of these things. Amen.